It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kind of had that tendency in April to kind of go to sleep for a week or two, and it, would, and it cost us dearly a couple times in terms of home court advantage and, and division title, like you said. At that point, the Jazz said, okay, this is where we got to prove if we're real. This is where we have to prove if we're, you know, if we're kind of a joke. Jury in the Rodney King case has delivered its verdict, and not one of the four police officers seen on videotape beating Mr. King a year ago is guilty of using excessive force. They've all been found not guilty. Well, that's the most incredible experience ever. I thought, this is where I died, and there was no helicopter flying above to, to you know, film me getting drugged out of the car and, and beaten to death. And we didn't have cell phones back then, and I just thought my wife's not going to know where I, what happened to me. station's not going to know. Kurt's not going to know. I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here. It's episode four of the 1991-92 Utah Jazz season. The most pivotal of them all. Hello and welcome to day four of the 1991-92 Utah Jazz season, the most pivotal of them all. On today's episode, we'll take you through the stretch run to see whether the Jazz can finally break through and win the Midwest Division and get over those April struggles. And we'll take you to an interrupted playoff series in Los Angeles and a story from nearly 30 years ago that feels like yesterday. I'm David Locke. Thank you for taking the time. Two seasons prior, the Utah Jazz had lost three of four and four of six down the stretch, including a loss to the Spurs on the final night of the year to lose the division by one. And the year prior to 1991-92 and 90-91, the Jazz would seemingly be about to get over the hump. They'd won six of seven to get in position to win the division. And the final night of the year, they would lose to the Golden State Warriors and lose the division by a game, dropping from the two seed to the five seed because in 19 19- 91-92, when you won the division, you were guaranteed the number two seed. So as the Jazz started down the home stretch of that season and the nervousness of years past failures was prevalent, they headed into a game that Carl Malone called, quite simply, the biggest game so far. And Jeff Malone said, you can't get to the point where hanging at altitude is life or death. But this one is pretty close. The Jazz would play the San Antonio Spurs with a three-game lead. It would be on the back end of a back-to-back after the Jazz' huge win over the then number one seed Golden State Warriors behind those 44 points of Karl Malone. So here came the Spurs, and it was the 4th of March. Just enough time to run away with it. Frankly, just enough time to blow it again. And once again, to remind us how the eras are a bit different, it was an 8 o'clock tip in Salt Lake City to accommodate San Antonio TV. But think about that for just a moment. To accommodate San Antonio TV so the game could air at 9 o'clock at night in San Antonio. In other words, they couldn't get the game on in prime time in San Antonio. Instead, they need to push it back far enough so they could find an open window where someone would be willing to air the game. And in 1991-92, that was still for a local broadcast to push it back to 9 o'clock. This was the third meeting of the year. The Jazz had won the first two, but by just three points. But for the Jazz to win this game against the Spurs would mean 
They won the season series. Jeff Malone was on fire earlier. The Spurs had an injury, so Vinny Johnson had to come off the bench and start, and Jeff Malone torched him for 12 first-quarter points. The Jazz would lead it 26-21 at the end of one, jumped to a 66-52 lead, and the Jazz were rolling. The Spurs rallied on a 24-8 run, and all of a sudden it was 76-74 heading to the fourth quarter, and the nervousness would start again. But as Jerry Sloan said, Mike Brown came in, and especially in the second half, was terrific. He hit some big shots. His defense on Robinson was very good. Asked about it by David Robinson, by Mike Brown about David Robinson. He's one of the best shot blockers in the league. I'm not a great leaper like Blue or David Benoit. The shot they gave me the night, I had to take and make. And those were back-to-back 17-footers. And with the Jazz win, the division lead was to four games with 21 left. Because of Mike Brown, the Brown Bears, 17 points, six rebounds, and two blocks. For all intents and purposes, it felt like the division race was over, but Spurs coach Bob Bass had one of the more bizarre quotes. Anything could happen. Carl Malone could get the measles. If Carl gets the measles and he's out two weeks, we could catch them. Who knows? He might get the measles or the chicken pox or something. Remember the mailman talking at the free throw line? Well, the mailman had hit 64 of his last 69 free throws. And at one point, he even hit 27 consecutive free throws. So it all seemed like it was perfect in Jazz World. And yet, the next night, the Jazz blew out the nets, but Blue Edwards explodes. Not in a good way, in a bad way. Three minutes into the third quarter, Jerry Sloan and Blue Edwards get into a shouting match on the bench. Sloan benches Edwards for poor defense on then-net player Chris Morris. And Sloan had something to say, and Blue went back at him, and then Sloan got in Blue's face. And it kind of kept being little stories like this that would percolate. The Jazz would go down to Texas a few weeks later and lose both ballgames. One to San Antonio, one to Houston. And when they got back for practice that day, Jerry Sloan would end practice right as it starts. He brought the team together, chewed them out, stomped out of the gym, and the Jazz had to practice by themselves. Mike Brown said Jerry left because he was bothered by the way we played in two big games. Basically, he wanted to see how much we cared. Jeff Malone said, I'm glad we stayed in practice and got something accomplished. We'll bounce back. We dropped a couple of games. We've got 16 left, and we're still in first place. There's no need to panic. And Carl Malone said, I got nothing to say about it. Earlier in March, Jeff Malone had been upset. After a game against Phoenix, in which the Jazz lost, he said, I got into a good rhythm in the third quarter, but coming back in the fourth, I didn't touch the ball. That's disappointing. I was feeling great, and when you feel like that, you want to touch the ball. It's frustrating. And the mailman was without an occasional controversy as well. In what was a blowout win against the Suns with about nine games left in the season, the mailman had had back-to-back not very good games. In April, he only had 10 points at Portland. And then the next night, he started the night 0 for 5, so Jerry sat him. After the game, Malone said, it's no fun sitting over there. That's for damn sure. I'm at a point now, long pause, he's the coach. He does the subbing. I just start taking what the defense gives me. But I couldn't do much on the bench. That's not my job. Sitting over there, but I can deal with it, said Carl. When you look back to this 91-92 season, these little items continue to just bounce up every few weeks. From Brad Rock, who was the Deseret Newsbeat reporter for that 91-92 season's perspective, it was just guys living together. I always took it. You're with those guys every single day for seven or eight months. 
that it's a that, that it's a spat that you have with your family. Uh, Blue had that thing with Jerry, and I do remember. If you remember his, he, he had that demeanor. He had that scowl. He looked really scary. And uh, I got on a plane and was on the same flight with the with the team. They flew commercial flights, and and we flew over to Denver. And Blue was standing over by himself by the luggage. I walked over and I said, "Blue, uh, can you talk a minute?" He goes. Sure, Brad. What do you need? And <laughs> surprised me. So what, what happened with you and Jerry? And he kind of played that off. Said it was, you know, nothing. It's just in 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 the heat of the moment. So yeah, it, I think it goes on all season with all teams, and most seasons with all teams that these these things are going to pop up. Salt Lake Tribune beat writer Steve Loom, who documented all of these previously mentioned stories in the Salt Lake Tribune archives, says he thought it was something that maybe this team needed. I, I thought that the Jazz almost thrived on that kind of stuff. Carl would say something, and 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 Jerry would use it as, "Okay, you guys, you guys take over. I'm I'm leaving, and I'm leaving practice, and you guys figure it out." And uh, I always thought that was one thing that Jerry Sloan did really well was common sense and judge when his voice was needed and when when it wasn't. I also thought it was a tremendous strength of Stockton and Malone. Stockton and Malone, they had the locker room. I mean those. The, the, if you came in and decided to play for the Jazz and were playing for the Jazz, Stock, when Stockton and Malone talked, you you had to listen. Assistant coach Phil Johnson remembers Jerry storming out of a practice here or there, all part of the technique of how to keep guys going for 82 games. A lot of times, uh, timeouts, he, he just wouldn't say anything. Uh, stuff like that, you know. Uh, he, he'd just, let, just sit there and look at him. I mean, it was, yeah, he'd do different things. And so uh, it's it's all part of the game. And from the player's perspective at the time, the wily veteran, Mark Eaton, who was 35 years of age at that point, he'd seen it before, he knew what was going on, and he knew what Jerry wanted. I remember some of that, and, um, and, and uh, Jerry was always very concerned about having everybody's respect and everybody on the team. And, and he challenged Carl in the locker room a couple of times, and uh, – you know, I can remember those. Um, I can remember some of those moments. And, you know, and Jeff Malone had played on a couple of other teams before he came to the Jazz. He was a great scorer, but I could see him saying that kind of stuff. And Blue Edwards was a young player uh, and a great, great athlete. I loved to run the floor. But, you know, he played that position of that, you know, big guard or that two guard, small forward kind of guy. And, and Jerry just, you know, couldn't stand it if somebody in that position wasn't playing defense as, as he would have done it. And uh, so there was, um, yeah, we had we had a few uh, blow-ups like that. After the back-to-back losses in San Antonio and Houston and Jerry Sloan storming out of practice, the Portland Trailblazers were in town on the 21st of March. The Jazz were 44-23. and 23. The Blazers were 48-19, and 19, four games ahead. Tyrone Corbin would have 13 points and 12 rebounds, but it was David Benoit, who the year before had played in Spain, had gone to Jazz camp, Left Jazz camp, gone to Laker camp, sprained an ankle, didn't make the team, had to go play in Spain. The Jazz picked him up in Summer League, who was beginning to find a rhythm. He had 12 points. Blue Edwards had 11. Eric Murdoch had the backup point guard job at the time, had eight. And the Jazz buried the Blazers, 95-77. to Sloan said afterwards, Benoit, terrific. Murdoch, terrific. All those guys pumped us up. They worked hard. They ran the floor Portland stroked us right in the middle of the bleachers at the start of the game, but those guys gave us a lift. Yeah, that's right. They stroked us right into the bleachers at the start of the game. 
Another great Sloanism along the way. The Jazz actually turned the corner in that game with John Stockton, Blue Edwards, Ty Corbin, David Benoit, and Mike Brown on the floor. Fairly small lineup that outscored the Blazers 19-5. And after the back-to-back losses and that win, the Jazz were back to a -a two-and-a-half game lead over the Spurs. The Jazz would beat the Sixers, lose to the Lakers, and beat the Bucks. But in the meantime, all of a sudden, San Antonio was falling apart. And the Jazz would move to a five-and-a-half game lead in the division. Stockton would turn 30. Carl Malone was past his test to drive trucks. That's right. The VIP kind of trucking, said Carl. We'll deliver your potatoes, your frozen foods, or whatever at a fair price. It's not $1.25 per mile, Malone admits. I'll make deliveries myself. If I'm not driving the truck... It's not going to be driven. Malone calls this a dream come true. Growing up as a little boy, I've always dreamed of owning my 18-wheeler. I remember riding with my mom and seeing him on the road and telling her, I'm going to own one of those someday. You can do it, she'd say. And now all of a sudden, here I am. Malone finished up saying, being on the road, there's a power to it. There's a smell to it. A clean diesel truck that gives it a kind of aura. It's a power kind of feeling. The Jazz would end March with a trip to Seattle and Portland to see where they rank. And the Jazz would get blown out 122-103 by the Sonics. John Stockton, after the ballgame, says it turned into one of them. It's indicative of the way we've been playing the last couple of games. we got to find some answers. And Sloan said, we look like dish rags. I know guys have their up and downs, but I always have a tough time when guys don't come out and dig down real deep. Well, they've been whipped in the middle of the bleachers and their dish rags. So all of a sudden, the fans are getting a bit nervous, and they get blown out by the Blazers, 118-86. The Jazz have lost three of four. That's when Carl Malone had his bad 10-point game, and the next test would be the Suns. And that was when Carl was not happy, but the Jazz would bust out of it with a 113-94 win. Mailman's second half was fabulous, and Jeff Malone would give Jeff Hornacek the fits. But the fan base was not comfortable yet. In fact, if you read from the Salt Lake Tribune, as the calendar turned to April, there are two constants about the month of April, paying taxes and the Jazz taxing the patience of their faithful. In another article, winners at least one game against the five teams in the league with a better record and owners of the best mark, the Jazz receive little acclaim for being one of the top teams who will be playing in June or beyond May. But that's because during the winter when the Jazz have played like world champs, they beat the Bulls, Blazers, Cavs, etc. And yet there have been times when they've played like the world chumps, said Dick Rosetta in the Salt Lake Tribune. The Jazz would have a chance to wrap up the division with three easy games, Minnesota, Denver, and Dallas. And of course, they would promptly collapse to Minnesota. In 14-60 and 60 on the year, the Jazz led it by 15 and then fell apart. Steve Loom wrote after the game, if the Jazz subscribed to one magazine, would likely be psychology today. This team has so many personalities. So the Jazz had lost five straight on the road. Four of six overall, Jeff Malone after the game said, we're not a very good team right now. I don't know why we should come in and beat a team like Minnesota. We need games like this. They're important, but we're not getting the job done. But that would be the last of the low moments. The Jazz would go on to win the Midwest Division for the first time since 1989 They would blow out the Mavs 113-90 to and cruise the rest of the way, and they would head to the playoffs on a high note. They were crushing teams. I mean, they beat the Nuggets by 20-something, 23, 24 points. Same thing with Dallas. 
uh, I think they beat the Warriors. I think they beat the Warriors by about 40, uh, way down, way down the stretch. So um, their confidence was high. And I think, I think at that point, uh, the Jazz said, we don't, we don't have to take a backseat anymore. We're not coming hat in hand grateful to be in the playoffs we're we're gonna go for it and we're gonna do something the jazz were were a, a maturing team and they had lost in the playoffs and uh larry miller to his credit kept sloan sloan was able to become someone that stockton and malone and eaton and those guys respected and wanted to play for if they if he hadn't who knows if they had gone to larry miller and said we don't want jerry sloan who, who knows what Larry would have said, but I think there was a unanimous support there. And at this core of this entire season was Jerry Sloan's development and the team's connection with Jerry. He had such a feel for the players. And uh, I learned so much from him because I did not play in the league. I coached for all those years and everything, but I learned so much from him because he had a, a player's aspect or perspective of the game. And so he had an idea of how to communicate with the players. And he developed such a, we both did, such a a respect from the players and we respected them. There was a mutual respect that I think that's really what was the most astounding thing about over the years. And then the other thing about Jerry that very people don't realize is how good he was at game management. I'm talking about timeouts, uh, utilizing the clock, utilizing uh, calling plays, uh, substitutions. He was really good at that. And so I don't recall ever having, not having a timeout at a crucial time to move the ball up the floor if we we needed to after a timeout, you know, and the players respect that, and they respect how he treated them and uh, how 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 much uh, he respected what they did. So it was on to the playoffs, the Larry Brown led upstart L.A. Clippers, but not before a multi-day stretch that no one will ever forget. Today's show is brought to you in part by Murdoch Hyundai. I gotta be honest, I got this email last night and I actually then went car shopping. Like the deals and the offers that are out there right now are so incredible. 0% for 84 months and no payments until January. That's right. No payments until January. Those are some of the deals that are out there right now in these unprecedented times. So Murdoch Hyundai wants to help you and your family and wants you to have peace of mind, which is why Murdoch Hyundai is offering 0% for 84 months on new 2020 Elantra and Tucson, plus no payments until January of 2021. My daughter turns 16 in February. I was like, why? We should do this now. That's six years of no interest and eight months of no payment on a brand new Murdoch Hyundai 2020 Elantra or 2020 Tucson. I was looking at it for a long time last night. I'm not even, not making this up. This is truly, like, these deals are so good that I took the time to look at it. So, if you're interested, go to Murdoch and Murray at 4646 South State Street or in Linden or in Logan. Email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. We can set it up. They also still have the program where they bring it to you. You can do all your shopping online, and then they'll bring the car to you 
for a test drive. It's remarkable what Hyundai's doing for you. No payments for till 2021, January of 2021, and six years of no interest. Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street. Also located in Logan and in Linden. Today's show is also brought to you by our good friends at Intercap Lending. That's Steve Carter and the crew at Intercap. Intercap, uh, I still just love the whole mentality of Intercap when I sent an email to Brock and said, hey, you know, in these times, what do you want me to tell people? And they said, like, he said, well, tell people to support their local restaurants, to give to the Red Cross, and to help any medical workers in any way they can. And I was like, okay, but I was looking for like things for your company. And he was like, that's irrelevant. But let me tell you, Steve Carter's there for you because right now might be the right time for you to refinance or do a loan. Intercap Lending has done fabulous work, major growth because they get deals done. And Steve Carter is our personal lending officer at Intercap. You can call him at 385-800-8528. Dave Thurman, all I can say is Steve Carter's by far the best loan officer I've ever worked with. And that is saying something because I've done a fair share of loans in my lifetime. He was responsive, just down-to-earth person I've worked with, which is rare. I will recommend him to anyone I know with the highest praise. Clayton and Sarah Winslow, same thing. Steve Carter and Intercap did a fantastic job with a refi for Sarah and I. The process was seamless and very quick. The reviews are endless. The lockdown people have been helped are endless. So let Steve Carter help you right now if it's right. 385-800-8528. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. Go to intercaplending.com for more information and make sure you tell Steve Carter you're with Locked on Jazz to get the Locked on Jazz corporate discount. As the playoffs got underway in 1991-92, the playoff failures of the past lingered. Larry Brown, who had been the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, who beat the Jazz for the Midwest Division by a game each of the last two years, was now the head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, who the Jazz would play in the first round. Don Nelson's Warriors, George Carl's Sonics, were sitting in the background waiting for round number two. And on the other side of the bracket were the Suns and Blazers, the two teams that had knocked the Jazz out of the playoffs the previous two seasons. But it felt a little different. The Jazz had won 17 of 20 heading down the stretch. Bad news came across the Jazz as they were getting ready for the playoff series as David Benoit, the rookie's father, became ill. And David had to leave the team briefly. He would rejoin the team, but that would be a playoff long issue. And there were enough sideshows between the Jazz and the Clippers to make you forget about any of the playoff failures. Rod Harper, before the series, said, I'm not going to get into Carl Malone, all-star, getting all the calls. And Olden Polony said, Carl talks a lot of beat. If he can get away with it, he's going to keep doing it. If he wants to talk, I'll talk. If he wants to fight, I'll fight. That's how he plays, through intimidation. Carl Malone called Olden Polonies a loser. Game one, the ghosts of playoff pass never had a chance, and neither did the L.A. Clippers, is how Steve Loom opened his article in the Salt Lake Tribune. Malone had 32, Jeff Malone had 29, and John Stockton notched 21 assists. A 22-4 run in the third. The crowd was crazy at the Delta Center, and the Jazz led it 81-54 through three onto a 115-97 win. Game two, the Clippers came with a physical presence, a flagrant early by Polonese. James Edwards and Carl Malone got tangled up, but it was Ty Corbin who played 34 minutes in game one, played 38 minutes in game two, leading Doc Rivers, the then point guard for the Clippers, to say after 
Tyrone Corbin's the best transaction of the year by any team. That move alone should win someone GM of the year. It was eight points and 10 rebounds from Corbin that led the Jazz. The Clippers actually led that game at the half by eight, but Mark Eaton's defense spurred an 8-0 run to tie it at 48, and then John Stockton, 21 point and 19 assists despite early foul trouble. Ron Harper after the game sounded pleased. We made them beat us. We gave them game one, but in game two, they played hard. The series would shift to Southern California, playing out of the sports arena. The Clippers would notch their first playoff win since 1976. Jeff Malone turned his ankle late in game two and was not very good in game three, going five of 15. And the Clippers led by five at the end of one. The Jazz scored just four points in the final 418 with Stockton out of the game in that first quarter, the season-long issue of the backup point guard rearing its ugly head as neither Eric Murdoch or Delaney Rudd were playing in games at that point. Clippers led by 11 at the half as the Jazz still couldn't score. They led by 16 with 10 minutes left, and the party was over that night for Utah. And little did we know what was going to happen next. Jury in the Rodney King case has delivered its verdict, and not one of the four police officers seen on videotape beating Mr. King a year ago is guilty of using excessive force. They've all been found not guilty. Chief Gates has put aside a million-dollar fund to pay for overtime for a thousand police officers who have been placed on alert following this verdict. Peter, Judith, you know you said it pretty well. The fact that those police officers have been put on alert anticipates a reaction to a not guilty verdict. I don't think there's much doubt that there's going to be quite a reaction. I think this was a stunning verdict. I don't think... I feel that it's a great travesty of justice. I feel that the jury in Simi Valley gave the okay to continue to abuse and oppress and suppress black people in this country. I feel that there is an undercurrent of racism and that the system is rotten to the core. The violence erupted after the acquittal of four white policemen in the beating trial of black motorist Rodney King. There's been looting, buildings have been set ablaze, and some motorists have been dragged from their cars and beaten. So far, nine people are reported dead, scores of others have been injured, and Governor Pete Wilson has declared a state of emergency today, Thursday, April the 30th. Jazz assistant coach Phil Johnson remembers it all breaking loose. Well, that's the most incredible experience ever. We're up 2-1. All of a sudden, the next day, the riots start. And we are in L.A. We're staying at a Marriott, and uh, we're in Marina Del Rey. So we're away from it, but we know what's going on because you can hear sirens going on. You can, and you're basically quarantined at your at your uh, hotel. You simply can't leave. And so all the news about uh, the riots and so forth. And that was a very and so the sports arena. Uh, was kind of where the, they, they brought the National Guard in and so forth, the police forces in to organize to combat that. And so, and so here we are stuck in a hotel. We can't practice. We can't go anyplace. The verdicts are a moment where anyone who lived in Los Angeles or was in Los Angeles remembers exactly where they were and knew what was coming next. In fact, let me insert myself in the story for a moment. I was a 21-year-old intern at Prime Ticket Television in Century City. The verdicts came down, and immediately the president of Prime Ticket came over the loudspeaker and announced that everyone should go home immediately unless they were working on that night's specific broadcast and had to be there to return home immediately to safety because we all knew what was happening next. And that panic was obvious everywhere across the city 
And Steve Loom and Craig Bolajak remember exactly that. The Jazz were going to have their afternoon press conference between games. The camera people were all set up in a, in a room at that hotel. All of a sudden, everybody starts breaking down their cameras, running out the door. And I said, what's going on? And one of the cameramen said to Rodney Kingbird, it came in. I went in to do uh, the editing, which I love to do. And I filed a report and I was going to do a live, a live stand-up. And as I was getting done, news anchor came to me and said, you know what, Bowler, you better get out of here. It's the fact that uh, the decision was coming down uh, just momentarily. And I remember sensing in the newsroom the panic. Southern California native Mark Eaton decided that there had to be some sort of escape to keep the guys sharp and not too wound up. In fact, I ran in a car and I said, well, hey, let's just go. I, I took, uh, I think I took John Stockton and Tyrone Corbin. We went down to Orange County because I said, nobody's on the freeways now. I mean, I'm from L.A. I'm like, I'm not too worried about it. I know it's uh, everything is cut, you know, coming apart at the seams, but I'm like, the freeways will be fine. So I rented a car. We went down to Orange County and um, had a little house down there. Then and we uh, we went to dinner and hung out for a few hours just to get out of the hotel because we were all going stir crazy. And then they finally decide, okay, we're going to play a game four at the uh, Anaheim Convention Center, which really wasn't a quote unquote basketball arena. Um, it was just kind of they had some stands and a small little arena over there. And and uh, and then of course it was just it was just a crazy time. We had a an armed escort from um, from Marina Del Rey over down the 91 to Anaheim. And Craig Bullerjack remembers that supplies were getting a bit limited. And that the hotel had not been able to have any type of deliveries over the last three days. So the, the menu was basically peanut butter, French fries, and some chicken fingers. I mean, that was basically what was left in the kitchen after three days. The stories... And the memories are still sharp. We'll hear them next from those involved as we continue on the 1991-92 Utah Jazz season, the most pivotal of them all. Today's show is brought to you in part by Sunprint Solutions. Sarah over at Sunprint Solutions has got an unbelievable company, right, that is Utah-owned, women-owned since 2019, established in 1941, and then rebranded as Sunprint Solutions in 2014. It is a Utah company through and through. They help all sorts of people, whether it's University of Utah with brochures and flyers, OC Tanners with booklets and certifications, Ancestry.com with the boxes and brochures for the DNA kits, LDS Church with books and stitchers, <coughs> excuse me, stickers, not stitchers, and Kaiser Permanente, all sorts of people. They do great work across the board, and they Sunprint Solutions has found a way in the current environment to keep up and running. So, Right now is not the time to drop all of your printing, your marketing, and all of those things. You need to make sure that your company is up and running and reaching people. Direct mail has become even more important right now than ever before. So Sunprint Solutions is there for you. They've got three buildings, 68 stage uh, shifts to make sure that they have appropriate social distancing. They have 20 uh, of their employees that work remotely now, and the other 66 work in various shifts. It's Innovative businesses get things done right now. Give Sarah a call at 801-978-5601. That's 801-978-5601. They can print folding carton boxes, flyers, <clears throat> brochures, books, mailers, folders, coupons, much, much more. Call Sarah at Sunprint Solutions, 801-978-5601.
Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I've tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. The Jazz would try to get back to normalcy, and that's when they realized things were not normal. Oh, it was insane because, like you said, we had, we had won the two games. We went down there. We were staying at the Marriott Marina Del Rey, and... Uh, you know, um, I think that we played we played one game at the sports arena already, right? And we were waiting. And it was game yeah, it was the second game four. We were waiting for in between in between game three and four is when they announced the Rodney King verdict, and the whole town just cut loose. And then we ended up sitting there for like three days, and you could see smoke in the distance and fire, and uh, uh, and um, and then the, one day we had practice over and actually in Inglewood on Manchester Boulevard there at Inglewood High School. And, and as we pulled up there, we had security, and then there was a dozen police cars went by, lights and siren, and there was some big incident down at the next intersection. And, uh, you know, we went and did had some sort of a little practice, but we didn't hang around very long. We spent most of the time in the hotel. The Jazz, the off-day practice, they went to Inglewood High, which is right on the fringe of, of the worst of the areas. And you could, the car, uh, uh, the the police cars kept going up and down Manchester, and and the smoke was rising in the not, you know, literally a few blocks away. And they let the jazz in the Inglewood High, the, the the gymnasium from the street. And there were several reporters, you know, we we weren't allowed into practice, especially during the playoffs. 
And we were outside and we're sitting on the step and we're all looking at each other. Nobody's saying anything, but everybody's kind of saying, um, is this where we want to be? And a minute later, the door opens and the security guard opens the door and he says, coach says you guys should watch, you know, should come in and watch practice inside. And we went in, guy, guy rechained the door without, with a deadbolt lock. And we were able to watch practice and goes to Jerry's common sense. He, he knew that it wasn't the safest place. And there were a lot of reporters who were very thankful to, to not be sitting on the steps because it was L.A. that that morning, that afternoon, was a very dangerous place. Uh, they had the media ride with the team on the team bus. So we weren't in trouble driving cars down in there. And they practiced at Englewood High School. And they had police officers uh, watching as you got off the team bus. And then you walked into the gym and they padlocked the gym doors and had armed guards outside the uh, outside the stadium so or outside the basketball arena so it was it was a real uh, crazy distracting time longtime utah sportscaster wesley ruff was at abc at the time as a young man he would head down to southern california to cover the series for the jazz and the clippers and he would have a life experience that he would never forget and one of the most terrifying moments of his life. I'm doing a live shot on the on the roof on the early show on our 5:30. I think it was 5:30 back then. I was doing a live shot on the roof of KCOP, our sister station, and I get done. So I'm on the roof, and you can see the whole city burning behind me. And we get done, and I toss back to our anchors, Randall Carlisle and Kimberly Perkins, and I say, you know, that's Wesley Ruff live in Los Angeles. And Kimberly says to me, Hey, Wes, is it scary there? In one of my great moments, I think, I, I look over my shoulder at all the smoke and I said, yeah, see all this smoke behind me, Kimberly? These are not barbecues gone awry. This city is burning. <laughs> and it was just like people in Utah had no, you know, they weren't close to it, so they had no concept of what it was like. But it was just, it was so bizarre. Right after we got done with that live shot on the roof, they shut KCOP down because the fires were getting closer there. We had another thing to edit for our 10 o'clock show. They sent us up to where Craig Worth was editing up in Burbank, Craig Worth was working for um, WRKNBC, and we asked if we could edit at his place, and he said, sure, so he told us how to get there. We didn't have GPS, we didn't have cell phones back then. Um, and he told me, and I still remember the streets to take, it was La Brea, Coanga, Orange, Olive, um, and I think there was one, La Brea, there was, anyway, he told me that I had to take all these different streets, got up there, edited, got done, fed it, and back to the station in Salt Lake, and we're getting ready to leave. And Craig said, hey, are you headed back? And I said, yeah. And he said, look at this. And we, we watched the TV, and they said, all right, we have more street closures to street closures to announce because of the riots and fires. Coanga, La Brea, Olive, Orange, all of the streets that we taken <laughs> were all now shut down because of, of the riots. And then the next day was the worst ever, 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 ever for me. Um, they, again, they split us up. We went to jazz practice, and then I edited, had to meet the the satellite truck and our photographer Kurt at um, the police station in South Central LA, and they told me how to get there from Marina Del Rey. And I'm in a Hertz, I'm in a Hertz rental car. And back then they used to have the Hertz stickers on the car. Um, and I'm in a little Geo Metro um, with a big Hertz sticker on it. And they said, okay, just go up the, the freeway and then you turn on Arlington Boulevard and you go 30 blocks straight and you you'll run right into it. the police headquarters. I'm like, great. So I'm, it's like 15 minutes after curfew. There's hardly anybody out on the freeway. Um, 
as I'm driving, and as soon as I turn off on Arlington Boulevard, I get this sick feeling like this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, I shouldn't even be here. Um, I just start, I, I, I passed I pass three buildings that were on fire. One of them had lit a car on fire and driven it into the building to set the to set the building on fire, and the, and the fire department wasn't coming down there because that was the Crenshaw. That was like, you know, that was ground zero for for the riots. Um, and I'm just I'm just like, what am I doing here in this place? And um, so I'm driving down the road. And I'm counting the blocks. I'm like, okay, I got 26 more blocks. I got 25 more blocks. I got 24 more blocks. And I come about halfway there. I it's two lanes each way. I come to a stoplight, and me, Mister Civil Obedience, I stop. And I'm waiting at the stoplight, like, please change, please change, please change. And a car pulls up to the side of me with four guys in it. And then they turn and they tee me. They, they get right in front of me and they tee me. So I can't move. They're, they're blocking me. So our cars are a tee. And um, the driver looks at me and says, what the f- are you doing here? And I thought I was dead. I thought, this is where I died. And there was no helicopter flying above to to you know, film me getting drug out of the car and, and beaten to death. And we didn't have cell phones back then. And I just thought my wife's not going to know where I, what happened to me. Station's not going to know. Kurt's not going to know. I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here. And it was like the, the scariest moment of my life. And people always ask me what happened. I don't know. I don't know. And I can't tell you, I couldn't tell you then what happened. I remember getting to police headquarters so I don't know if the light changed and I went around them. I don't know if they kept going. I don't know. But I made it to police headquarters eventually. And the beauty part of that story is I get there and they had it barricaded a barricaded a block away. And a cop stops me and says, what are you doing? And I said, I need to get to those satellite trucks to do a live shot. And he said, do you have any credentials? And I'm like, I'm covering the jazz game. I don't have any media credentials. And so I open my wallet and I pull out the Utah High School Activities Association press pass that barely gets me into high school basketball games here in Utah or football games. I show him the pass. He goes, okay, go ahead. And he was <laughs> so we get there and Kurt's like, I tried to call you at the, at the hotel to tell you I come down here. It's too scary, blah, 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 blah. And we're about two minutes away from our live shot and a sniper. So we're there. WGN is there, CNN, CBS, and everybody's lined up doing live shots and everyone is in bulletproof vests except us. And, we're about two minutes away from our live shot. So it's about just a little before 10 o'clock Salt Lake time, a little before nine o'clock LA time. And a sniper in the building kitty corner from us takes two shots at all, at all the TV lights. And instantly we just, you know, we're on the ground and the cop, the doors fly open from the gates fly open from the police headquarters. And, um, 50 cops come out pumping shotguns and they're screaming at us to turn off our lights. And so we're pulling plugs on the lights and crawling like army style back to the, to the satellite truck. And I ended up doing my live shot in the doorway of the satellite, uh, of the satellite truck. And, but by that time we're like, geez, just shoot me, put me out of my misery. Cause it was just, it was just so intense and so scary. Got back to the hotel that night, all the jazz players and the media were just hanging around in the, in the Marina Del Rey Marriott. Um, in the lounge, and I remember Steve Loom saying, "Geez, Wes, what's what happened? You look, you're white as a ghost." And I said, "I just got, we just got shot at." He's like, "Seriously though, what's wrong?" And I said, "We just got shot at." I'm not far from Wesley Ruff, our our uh, broadcast associate partner over at Channel Four. He actually 
both of us were asked to put flak jackets on. Uh, and he actually was shot at by a sniper. We were yelled at by the California um, uh, Highway Patrol and a chopper. I'll never forget this. That was hovering above us. And at that time, we didn't understand the real severity. But had a black jacket on for safety because there was a, a lot of shooting going on in the in the, uh, in the city. But we had a light on to light up the, the live shot, and they used a you know a speaker system, whatever from above. Turn off your light. Turn off your light. In the midst of all this madness, these scary times, an entire society erupting and exploding, it took to Frank Layden to get everyone to laugh a little. Craig Bullerjack remembers fondly. The one moment of levity was the great Frank Layden, David, where uh, in the hotel room, I think on night three, we had the National Guard and a tank out in front of the hotel and had uh, National Guard snipers on top of our hotel room. And Frank calls up to all the media that were staying there, and he goes, ah, this is Frank, Barbara, and I are inviting you all to the Last Supper. And I just laughed because what he did was he brought it together to talk. He had if anybody drank wine. You had to buy, he, he got you a bottle. If you had Diet Coke, he'd bring you, you know, they'd bring you a whole bottle of Diet Coke. But he gave us a chance to kind of get away from the, um, the unknown. It was fearful. We thought it'll be a long time before we get out of Los Angeles because, again, fires were being set, you know, by the second, by the minutes. And uh, we just talked about good, fun stories. I have to tap, tip my hat to Frank, God love him, who really put a very stressful moment and gave us a, a moment of levity. In fact, maybe about an hour where we actually just sit around. On the next episode of the 1991-92 Utah Jazz season, the most pivotal of them all, will get on the floor for the playoff run, which will include a game that may have been more important than any other, the exact moment and where the pivot happened. Plus, Mark Eaton reminds everyone his value, and a poke in the eye ends all hope. It's all coming up on the 1991-92 Utah Jazz season, the most pivotal of them all. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feet every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.